John Quincy Adams, son of the founding father John Adams, was the sixth president of the United States from 1825 to 1829, as well as being Secretary of State, member of the U.S. House of Representatives, a U.S. Senator from Massachusetts, an ambassador to the United Kingdom, Russia, Prussia, and the Netherlands. He also may have had the highest IQ of any president, estimated to be 165, and he spoke nine languages. In his memoirs, John Quincy Adams said the following on June 24th, 1812. I came in the course of my scripture reading this morning to Psalm 37. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, and was much struck with its excellent and profound morality. The duty of reliance upon the retributive or avenging justice of God without being staggered either by the transient prosperities of the wicked or by the afflictions of the good is inculcated with a force of sentiment and an energy of expression such as I have never met with in any of the profane writers. He goes on to say, there is not indeed in the psalm any recurrence to the rewards and punishments of another life. And it leaves the argument entirely open for the sublime improvement of the Christian doctrine. But it is to be observed that one of its promises of blessedness to the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, is expressly quoted and repeated by our Savior in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 5. There is so much prosperity to the wicked in this world, and the good, as far as human nature can be called good, are followed by such great and manifold afflictions that some consolatory principle of trust upon divine justice is necessary to the comfort of existence. I know of none equal to that in this psalm with the addition of the Christian faith. So you see there that John Quincy Adams uh, read the Bible and knew the Bible, along with a lot of uh, other uh, presidents and founding fathers of our nation. And... So I just want to welcome you to the Through the Psalms podcast. And I came across that uh, in the Founders Bible uh, by David Barton. And if you're a patriot and you love the United States of America, uh, I really recommend you get the Founders Bible. It has a lot of good information in it about our country and has a lot of um, quotes and documents uh, that relate to our Christian heritage uh, and the founding of our nation. And so it's a really good resource. And I actually looked up uh, this quote that I read to you from John Quincy Adams on, online, and you can find his memoirs uh, online. You can read it actually in his own handwriting. It's kind of hard to find, but eventually I did find it, and I was able to read what I just uh, read to you in his own handwriting. So it was, it, that was pretty neat. Um, but the, uh, the Founders Bible uh, is the New American Standard Version, and uh, usually on this podcast I read from the King James Version, uh, but there's three translations that I would recommend to people, the King James Version, the New King James Version, and also the New American Standard. I think all of those are pretty solid. Uh, uh, they have formal equivalents, uh, I believe it's called, uh, which means that they are word-for-word translations. 
which I think are more reliable than the uh, dynamic equivalents. Um, but anyway, uh, as you can see, or as you can tell, uh, we're talking about Psalm 37 this week. And uh, it's a very well-known psalm, a uh, very beloved psalm. Uh, and let's talk about the classification for Psalm 37. Um, it is an acrostic psalm. And if you remember, that is a psalm that uh, each verse starts with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So in English, you won't be able to tell that it's an acrostic, but if you could read the Hebrew, you would be able to tell. Um it also is classified as a teaching psalm or a wisdom psalm. Uh, Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator, he calls it a mascul, and we've talked about that term before, I think, uh, which means it's a teaching psalm. It's about instruction. He mentions that it's all instruction. There's not much praise or, or prayer in this psalm. It's basically teaching you about God and spiritual things. Uh, the King James Version Study Bible uh, classifies this as a wisdom psalm, which is kind of the same thing. It's meant to teach us something or impart wisdom. Uh, psalm 37 deals with the problem of evil, which is, you know, has been around uh, since the fall. Um, and that is the issue of, you know, reconciling a loving and an all-powerful and all-knowing God with the existence of evil? How do we reconcile that? How do we sort that out in our mind? Um, and so this psalm kind of deals with that and deals with the question of why do the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer? And so that's one of the themes, the major theme of this psalm. As far as an outline for Psalm 37, it's kind of difficult to outline. And I noticed that some commentators didn't even try to outline this psalm. But I came up with one, I don't know how good it is, but uh, verses 1 through 8, I call the commands to the righteous, because uh, it lists several commands. Uh, verses 9 through 38 is the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And then verses 39 through 40, uh, the consolation of the righteous. Okay, um, as it was mentioned when I was reading that passage uh, from John Quincy Adams, uh, in verse 11, uh, it references the meek inheriting the earth. And if you're familiar with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, you'll recognize that Jesus uh, mentions that phrase, uh, inheriting the earth. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, so, you have there a link between Psalm 37 and, and Matthew 5.5. 5. Okay, with that as a way of introduction, let's go ahead and read Psalm 37. Again, it's a little long. It's got 40 verses. Uh, and so I'm not going to talk about every single verse. I'm not going to comment on every single verse. I'm just going to hit the highlights or some of the highlights uh, because there's just so much in this psalm. Uh, this podcast would be probably over an hour if I went verse by verse. So I'm going to read the psalm, and then we'll just uh, talk about some of the highlights of this psalm. So let's look there in verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. 
so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow, to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume, into smoke shall they consume away. The wicked borroweth, and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy, and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land, and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart, none of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous, and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord, and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressor shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Okay. So let's uh, talk about this psalm. Um, The first eight verses have several commands in them. Uh, Fret not thyself, uh, neither be thou envious, trust in the Lord and do good, 
delight thyself also in the Lord, commit thy way uh, unto the Lord, uh, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for the Lord, cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not. So uh, these are the commands that uh, David is giving. And by the way, I didn't mention it, but this is a Psalm of David. Uh, these are the commands that David is giving to the righteous to combat this problem of evil, uh, of wondering, you know, why did the, the wicked prosper? And David's saying, don't worry about that. Don't fret yourself. Instead, do these things. Instead, trust in the Lord. Um, we find that as a, a common theme in the Psalms, trusting in the Lord. Uh, so that's the, the first command he gives after he tells you not to fret. Uh, he says, you know, instead of fretting, trust in the Lord and do good. Uh, he talks about committing our way unto the Lord. Uh, and that word commit means to roll off onto. So roll off onto the Lord our way and our thoughts and our troubles to commit them to commit our way to the Lord and then trust him and he will bring it to pass. Uh, it talks about resting in the Lord. Instead of worrying and fretting, we're to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Uh, patience is another common theme of this psalm. It talks about ceasing from anger. It's easy to get angry at the prosperity of the wicked or the suffering of the righteous. But David tells us to stop being angry, forsake wrath, and do not fret yourself in any way to do evil. Uh, and so these are some of the commands that David gives us there in the first eight verses. There's really a lot packed in there. Um, the word fret comes up quite a bit. We see it several times uh, in those opening verses, uh, the first eight verses. Um, so the word fret, if you look it up, it carries the idea of worry, of being annoyed, of being discontented. It also has the idea of something gnawing at you or wearing something away. And so if we allow ourselves to fret about the wicked and their prosperity, that will gnaw at us, that will wear at us. It will cause us to be discontented and worried. And that's what David is warning against. He's saying, don't do that. Don't worry. Don't let this cause you issues, but instead do these things. Instead, trust in the Lord. Um, and so he gives the prescription for the problem and all these commands that I, that I gave you. And again, so I mentioned patience. Um, David, he, what he's saying is that, yes, the wicked do prosper. He's not denying that. He's not denying that the wicked prosper sometimes and the righteous suffer. Uh, he's acknowledging that. Uh, but what he's saying is that they only prosper for a while. It's temporary. It, it may only, you know, it's only in this life that they prosper. And so he's saying, be patient and have a long view of things. Uh, think about eternity. Don't just look at this life. Uh, and he's saying, if you're patient, you'll see that the wicked's prosperity is temporary and it will come to an end. And there's also the idea that we are to live for heaven and live for the next life because that's when the reward of the righteous will come. Um, Charles Spurgeon says, 
speaking of the wicked, he says, let them flaunt their scarlet and fine linen and fare sumptuously every day. The sword of Damocles is above their heads, and if their wits were a little more awake, their mirth would turn to misery. If you're not familiar with the term, the sword of Damocles, um, he was a 4th century B.C. Greek courtier to Dionysius the Elder. And he was, he, Dionysius allowed Damocles to, uh, at this banquet, to sit on his throne. So Damocles was allowed to be king for a while, but he had to sit under this sword that was suspended by a single horsehair above his head. And it was to show Damocles how transient uh, things were, that at any moment that sword could be released and fall on his head and cause him harm. Um, It was to show him that those in power are always in danger of someone taking that power away from them or something harmful happening to them. Uh, Dionysius was called the tyrant of Syracuse and he gained his power through cruelty. And so he was always probably looking over his shoulder, wondering who would take his throne away from him. And Charles Spurgeon uses this as an example of the wicked. He's saying the sword of Damocles hangs above their head and they may prosper, but at any moment that sword could fall and cut them, <clears throat> cut them off. And so it's a, a great illustration of uh, the precarious position of the wicked, their lack of security, their lack of peace. They're always looking over their shoulder. They have no peace. I wanted to look at just a few verses in this psalm. Uh, this verse, this psalm has a lot of uh, well-known verses, and probably the most well-known in this psalm is verse four: "Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart." You'll see that verse on you know picture, inside picture frames hung on the wall. Uh, people can quote this verse by memory. And so, what is David telling us here in this verse? He is telling us that we're to find our joy and our delight in the Lord. In this world where there are many temptations and many amusements and many things that appeal to our interest and our desires, we're to find our joy and our delight and our happiness in the Lord. And if we do that, if we follow the Lord and we find our joy in Him, then it says He will give us the desires of our heart. He will bless us. And give us the desires of our heart. Because if we are following the Lord, then our desires will be right. And will be, they will be ordered according to what God wants for us. They will be godly desires. And so this is a promise to those who love the Lord and trust in Him. That God will bless you and He will give you that joy and those things that you desire if you follow him, if you trust in him. Uh, And so that's a wonderful promise found in the word of God there. Uh, This psalm also talks about inheriting the land. We mentioned that, how it's referenced in the Beatitudes. Um, 
It talks about dwelling in the land, inheriting the land. And the idea is that though the righteous may suffer and though the wicked may prosper, in the end, the righteous will inherit the land. And of course, to the Jews, they would probably immediately think about the promised land uh, because that was the land promised to Israel. Um, We as Christians, we think of heaven. We think of our inheritance in heaven and the new Jerusalem and the new earth that that God will um, will create when uh, Christ returns and he will reign in his kingdom. We think about the, the kingdom of Christ and, and his return. But the idea is that the righteous have that inheritance in the Lord, but the wicked do not. They will be cut off. Um, and that phrase cut off means to be destroyed uh, or have some kind of violent end. Um, and so the, the wicked don't have an inheritance, but those that love the Lord do. Uh, as an example, you think about in history, you think about somebody like Adolf Hitler. He was very powerful. He ruled Germany. Uh, he went to war with various nations. And, uh, but he was very wicked. He, he ushered in the Holocaust and he uh, was responsible for something like six million deaths of Jews in the Holocaust. Uh, and then, of course, all the deaths on top of that from the war, World War II. And so he was very powerful, but he was very wicked. And his power was temporary. And soon he was cut off. And so, and and people, you know, remember him in a very negative light. His name is synonymous with evil. Uh, if you want to insult somebody and, or call them evil, uh, the Hitler comparison oftentimes comes up. And so we see that the wicked, though they may prosper and though they may have power, it's temporary and eventually they'll be cut off. In contrast, it talks about the meek who are humble and patient and gentle and kind. It says the meek will inherit the land or inherit the earth. Uh, So they have an inheritance um, and they will be blessed in the end. All right, let's look. I just, again, I'm hitting the highlights here, so I'm skipping over verses, but I wanted to look at verses 23 through 25. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord or established by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Um, we see here that the good man, his steps are ordered in the Lord. He is following God, uh, trying to obey God, and the Lord is guiding his steps, and the Lord delights in his way. Or it could be interpreted that the good man delights in the Lord's way. Uh, but, uh, but then it says, though he fall, he should not be utterly cast down. So the righteous man is not perfect. He makes mistakes. He sins. He may fall. But it says the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The Lord will pick that man up and he won't be utterly cast down. So again, the righteous are not perfect, but they're following the Lord. They're trusting in the Lord. 
and he picks them up and he upholds them with his hand. Um, and then David says, I've been young and now I'm old. So we know that David wrote this psalm when he was old because he says that in, right there in this verse. And he says, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. So he says, the Lord will take care of the righteous and their descendants and their children. Uh, He says, I haven't seen the righteous or their descendants begging for bread because the Lord takes care of them and the Lord blesses them. Uh, Notice in verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. So, we see there again that the Lord will provide for the righteous, uh, you know, specifically food. He will provide for their material needs and their the food that they need to eat. They shall be fed. They won't be begging for bread. Uh, so we see the Lord is our provider there. Then in verse 27, we have another command, depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. Uh, and so David tells, he commands us to depart from evil, to, uh, to forsake evil. And, um, Charles Spurgeon had a good quote on this. He said, as Lot left Sodom without casting a look behind, so must we leave sin. No truce or parley is to be held with sin. We must turn away from it without hesitation, and set ourselves practically to work in the opposite direction. He who neglects to do good will soon fall into evil. Uh, He uses there the example of of Lot and Sodom. If you remember that story, God destroyed Sodom, but before he did, um, you know, Abraham was talking with God, and and they went and, and rescued, the angels went to Sodom and rescued Lot and his family out of Sodom, and You remember his wife, Lot's wife, looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt because she longed for Sodom. She loved the city. But Lot and his two daughters escaped. And what Spurgeon is saying there is that we must, he's comparing sin with Sodom and he's saying we can't look back at sin. We have to cut sin off and, and leave it and not try to negotiate with it, not try to play with it, but turn away from it without hesitation. And, you know, so that goes along with what David's saying there, depart from evil and do good. In verse 31, uh, he says, The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide or slip. So the law of his God is in his heart. Now, you may say, now, what is it referring to when it says the law of God? Well, generally speaking, it's probably referring to the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament, which are called the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, That's often called the written law. Sometimes when people say the law, they might be referring to the Ten Commandments specifically. But uh, generally, it's the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, And, uh, you know, Jesus would refer to the law and the prophets. Uh, So, in a way, you could say that the law is the first 
24 books of the Old Testament all the way through Chronicles uh, and then maybe not include the prophets in that. So what I'm saying is that this term, depending on who uses it, it can mean you know different things. But generally speaking, it's the first five books of the Old Testament. Um, and what David is saying here is that the righteous man, the godly man, has the law of God in his heart. He cares about the word of God. He wants to know what God has commanded us, and he puts it in his heart. Um, and Jeremiah talks about this, you know, the law being in our heart. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 31, he says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So that's speaking of the new covenant, the New Testament, uh, you know, initiated by Christ. And he talks about how he will put the law of God in their hearts and in their mind, in their inward parts. Uh, so we as Christians, you know, have the, the law of God written on our hearts. And we also need to remember that Christ is the one who fulfilled the law. Christ said that he came not to do away with the law, or abolish it, but he came to fulfill it. Some theologians separate the law of God into three parts, the ceremonial law, the moral law, and the judicial or civil law. And uh, that's just a way of kind of organizing it. Um, the ceremonial law refers to all the uh, laws dealing with like the sacrifices and the festivals and the feast and um, different uh, laws of about uh, cleanliness and uh, being clean or unclean, uh, what to wear, dietary laws, like what to eat uh, or not eat. That's the ceremonial law uh, that was for Israel. Then there was the moral law, which is considered more universal, not just for Israel, but for all people. Uh, this would be like the Ten Commandments, things like, you know, do not murder, do not commit adultery, uh, honor your father and your mother, things like that. Kind of a universal uh, moral law for all people at all time. And then there's the judicial or civil law, uh, things that dealt with just Israel at that time. Uh, things that like, uh, what, do you, what do you do when your donkey falls in a, a pit? Uh, or, you know, if your neighbor is gored by an ox, how do you make restitution for that? Uh, that was their civil law. But the, back to verse 31 in this psalm, uh, David is saying that the righteous love God's law and they have it in, a, in their heart. And their steps, their life is ordered by God's word. Uh, 
so that's verse 31. Let's look at verses 34 and 35. Another command, he says, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Verse 36, yet he passed away and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. So again, keeping in mind this problem of why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Here David gives us another uh, solution to that problem on how to deal with it. How do we deal with that when it, when it bothers us that the, the wicked are prospering? He's telling us, be patient. Wait on the Lord. You have to look at the long view of things and remember that the wicked's prosperity is temporary as well as the suffering of the righteous is temporary. He say, if you wait on the Lord and you keep his way, then God will exalt you to inherit the land. Uh, so patience is a great uh, theme of this psalm. It's about waiting upon the Lord and not taking a short view of things, but taking a long view of things. And, you know, as we get older, I think that's, it's always hard to watch the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. But I think as we get older, we learn to have a, a more long-term view of things. When we're young, we just think about the here and now, and that's all we see. We're very impatient. But life has a way of forcing us to learn to be patient. And oftentimes it's hard. It's not easy. But uh, that's something that I think we learn as we get older with experience. All right, let's look at verses 39 and 40, the closing verses of this psalm. And I referred to this in the outline as the consolation of the righteous. Uh, it says, But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. So as we look at the, the wicked and we see them prospering, and we get discouraged, we need to turn, turn our eyes back on the Lord, it says the Lord is our salvation, and he will deliver us, he will be our strength in time of trouble. He shall help us and deliver us because we trust in him. So that is the consolation for the righteous. That's what gives us hope and encouragement as we deal with this problem of evil, and we deal with this problem of the wicked prospering and not understanding why we need to remember these two verses 39 and 40 the lord is our salvation and he will deliver us and save us so again you know in conclusion this psalm is all about trusting and waiting upon the lord uh, as we get discouraged as we don't understand things that are happening and we, we see wicked people prosper and we see righteous people suffer. Sometimes that's not easy to deal with. And David says the solution to that is to trust in the Lord and wait upon him. Don't fret. Don't worry. Don't uh, let this gnaw at you, but find your peace in the Lord. So that's Psalm 37. It's a very wonderful psalm, and hope you were blessed by that. Um, as we approach Memorial Day, 
Let us remember those who have died uh, serving our country. Um, and we are thankful for those that ho- who have fought for our freedoms and have given their life um, to uh, preserve our freedom. And ultimately, we also remember, most importantly, uh, Christ who gave his life to give us spiritual freedom from sin. Uh, and so think about these things on Memorial Day. And as summer starts, I want to wish you all a happy summer and uh, I hope you had a good spring. And um, I just want to say before I close that if you ever have any comments or questions concerning the podcast or something I've said or uh, maybe something you'd like to see on the podcast, something you would like me to, to cover or talk about on the podcast, uh, you can email me at allthingsnew, that's A-L-L-T-H-I-N-G-S-N-E-W, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and uh, look forward to uh, getting a message from you. So, Having said that, that's all for this week, and I hope you have a uh, blessed week, and uh, I hope you have a happy Memorial Day. Thank you.